You're listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is the Elevator's Cut. Welcome back to another episode of The Elevator's Cut. I'm Jason Wheeler. I'm Roger Gaddis. And today we are going to delve into call the five anchors that create success in the grain business. This came about through White Commercial. We've been around since the 70s as an organization, uh, even though Roger and I have not been around since the 70s, the organization has. And they've been working with grain elevators uh, specifically, uh, folks in the grain business. And over that many years, you have people who are successful and uh, do some things that that make their business successful. And uh, you have some that don't do those things. And, um, of course, the goal of, of the white commercial company is to help people do those things. So uh, a few years back, we, we tried to categorize all those uh all those things that people do um that create success and we got five of them we we put them into five categories obviously there's a lot of things people do that are successful but anywho now you said a few years back i uh might have been a few more than that maybe a few more than a few maybe but uh but anyway so today we wanted to uh tell you what those are in general and then delve into to one in particular. Let's let's delve. It's it's time to delve. Hey, Randy, turn on that delve delving music. <laughs> we're ready. Oh, you're out. Oh, he said we're out. Uh, fresh out of the delve music. Uh, maybe next time. Anchor one is identify opportunity in your trade area and beyond. So it's those subtle things of the grain business and merchandising. Anchor two, get comfortable with all the tools of basis trading. Awareness is key here. Yes, and anchor three, create meaningful and productive relationships with your farmers and essentially have a, have a point of difference between you and anywhere else they go. The, the origination piece. Anchor four, have a meaningful merchandising plan and take decisive action. Yes, and Anchor 5, uh, go deep in your organization. Uh, so who who should know what and uh, and make sure the knowledge is spread around and, and uh, you got a deep bench for future growth. So those are the five anchors that create success. Again, <clears throat> people that are good do most, if not all of these things, people that are good, people that are successful and make money in the grain elevator business, um, know how to do most, if not all of these things pretty well. So let's get going with anchor one. Put first things first, if you will. <laughs> Identify opportunity in your trade area and beyond. The subtle things. What is part of the subtle things, Jason? All right. So that is um, <clears throat> people that are good at this. um are able to identify and make sales, uh, not just in their trade area, but yeah, as it says, 
so we, we've seen examples of this where um, a few years back, bad crop, southeast Kansas. Uh, Roger, you were there. <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, bad crop, got a bunch of sales on for new crop because it started out great. Um, the crop actually, acres were there, looked really good. And then what, mid-July or early July, just it never rained again. And uh, all of a sudden, the corn wasn't there. And for a few years before that, the as far as basis goes, making basis sales at harvest had been key because to for just logistically to get stuff off of people and, and uh, all that, it had been a really good thing to do. And, and the best numbers you could have sold were mm-hmm. ahead of time too. So, um, and now here we are where we got average buy basis for new crop at, you know, in early July. Hey, we're just bidding what we normally do. And we're going to have this huge crop. Well, basis is probably going to be lower, right? So, hey, better go ahead and make some sales and be able to get some of this stuff off me. So a lot of people did in the grain elevator business. And, um, and then what happened in that area was... Stop raining. And it got 180 degrees every day. And the basis got really high because there wasn't any corn uh, to be bought. And so there were the chickens that needed to eat down there and everything. Or they were having to rail corn in. Uh, the corn that was down there was had all sorts of aflatoxin in it. And um, that you're not allowed to blend. Right, Roger? No comment. <laughs> and then uh, anyways, so that, that was happening. So we had a customer down there that that had a lot of these sales on upside down in them. All right. So we, we have the situation we've got sales on basis goes higher. We're upside down on the sales, uh, that were made for new crop. Um, got these contracts sold, uh, with the users and we're in a bit of a dice situation that the corn wasn't there. Uh, so the options were buy out of the contract, which at that point, um, you couldn't do because they would, even if you wanted to do at at uh, at that day's spot, so say you had a had a sale at forty five over, and their bid was eighty over, and maybe you were charging uh, customers to cancel contracts, and and you could pass along twenty or what's that thirty five cents. <laughs> maybe you could pass that along. Well, if you go to whoever you had it sold to, they would say, well, to cancel that, it's a replacement rate. Uh, and for us to buy that in right now, we'd have to pay a dollar fifteen over to actually get it bought. Even though our posted bid's eighty, well, try to explain it to your farmer customer, mm-hmm. right? That oh, not actually, we're gonna have to charge you an extra thirty five cents on top of that. So it was a it was a very difficult situation. Not fun. <clears throat> but what happened was was an opportunity for those who could identify some opportunity outside of their trade area. They had to go and find the bushel. Essentially, if you pay to get out of it, you're going to pay a huge penalty. So you just go find the bushels yourself somewhere else. Obviously not in your backyard where you normally buy from, unfortunately, that year. So that was the thing. Go go find bushels. And we had a customer down there. He, he got into uh, the, the trucking business more so than he'd ever been and, and the fertilizer business and some other things. To, to haul things around to make it work. Because what you had was north of I-70, north of Kansas City, the corn was okay and pretty good. Uh, and they weren't having the aflatoxin issues. So the the challenge was how do I get it from down there to here and, you know, 
try to make this all work and pay because obviously they're not going to sell it for nothing. They're they're going to sell it at good values up up north. So what what he ended up doing is hauling a bunch of one of the guys up there that had a bunch of northeast Kansas that he would sell also did a lot of fertilizer and he he needed that to come north anyways from the river which was south of southeast Kansas is down around Tulsa Oklahoma so he was sending trucks from down there at Tulsa picking up fertilizer taking it all the way up to to almost Nebraska uh actually some I think did go to Nebraska mm-hmm. too it was right on the line there and from there was picking up then he'd send his trucks to go pick up corn from that one guy and and a few other uh fellow white commercial participants in the area picking up the grain hauling it all the way back down south to northwest <laughs> arkansas delivering it and then once in northwest arkansas then they could go back over to tulsa pick up go and make the round and he just had had a few guys just going non-stop doing this and it was you know his trucks and stuff and basically it got him to where he broke even <laughs> pretty much and he moved i don't know five to six hundred thousand bushels at least that way mm-hmm. and it was either pay a 60 cent cancel fee and just lose that money or do this so he just moved you know it's hey figure out where where the market is basis moves grain from where it is to where it isn't so we got to find where it is we got to move it and we got to see what value we can add to make it work so he added a lot of logistic help uh to some folks and and got the grain moving you know, and kudos to to the White Commercial Network that year. And it, remember, if it was that year or the following year, because we had three years of drought in a row down there. One of those years was within we got within a nickel um, of getting rail corn from North Dakota from White Commercial Distance up North Dakota to actually, you know, after a switching and everything else to get that work it down into Springdale. It was within a nickel of getting that to work. You know, unfortunately truck corn reared its head and was able to buy in. But I mean, just, it was crazy. You know, like you said, grain will move from where it is to where it ain't, you know, given the right circumstances. And I think that the point you're trying to make here, Jason, is really to, I mean, be the expert in your area for sure. Be, be the consummate expert of your local area, but know values of what's influencing your area. Replacement costs is huge, especially in a market like that. And understanding how grain can move and everything else that, that goes along with it. And, and you know, the better you are at that, the better you're identifying opportunities that aren't going to present themselves to someone who's just opens to dump grain and, and that's it. Right. And uh, you know, funny side story of that. So he did all that and made no money uh, margin wise, except for here was the big thing is he gave his truck drivers all uh, credit cards to buy the fuel with his uh, Cabela's, uh, rewards card and so even though he broke even on it he became like a cabela's black card member or whatever so whatever what crazy thing and so he got all these discounts and all this free merchandise from cabela's for the whole thing so it wasn't all for not did they offer to like close the store down so he could personally shop by himself <laughs> something like that that's winning life right there so you know lemonade and lemons and and all that things you put them all together and, and you get free stuff at cabela's i think is how it goes so but it always works <laughs> but anyways that that is um it's using the old noggin i guess but the um honestly so in, in that case it get got him out of losing a bunch of money 
uh, or what could have been a tough year. It was, still was a tough year, but, uh, and you know, it was a lot of work. And, but because he had, one, he had relationships with a lot of different people outside of his trade area. He had relationships with people in his trade area that he was able to, uh, you know, move, move things around a little bit in there. And then um, also, um, you, you know, was, was able to, take care of his customers better and, and all that. And that, that it just comes from understanding the market, what, where we're at and, uh, and how to take advantage of it. Now, this is also used of course, to make money and not just keep from losing money. Um, so I do, there, and there's plenty of examples of that. One that comes to mind is in Ohio, a customer of ours who, Hey, it was, it, again, it was summertime and he had, bought a pretty good book of grain, had a bunch coming to him and his local buyers where he normally goes really weren't bidding anything good for harvest yet or, or even the post harvest thing, but he needed to kind of lighten up his uh, futures position a little bit and make some sales. And, and the value should have been based on the broader market and some of the out, even though he doesn't go to the river, the river market values and everything, it should, his market should have been reflecting a much higher basis than it was. So he knew that, but he, you know, he couldn't get anywhere. They, they just weren't paying it, but he needed to make a sale. So he did because he knew the river market was a traditionally very strong value. And, you know, if push comes to shove, he could take it there and the freight, you know, even if back out the freight and everything, it, it worked. He would have, you know, made mm-hmm. a just fine margin. But but he he hoped he wouldn't have to go there. But he went ahead and made the sale, and you know what ended up happening was he in that in that situation worst case scenario I gotta go and take it farther than I normally do, but I'll make my margin and it'll be okay. But what happened there is he was right. My market should have come along. It didn't. It took too long to to materialize into a good basis. But eventually his market did improve to where it should have been relative to the others. And so he was able to deliver in his local market. And that other market that w- that he knew was high based traditionally dropped back down a little bit. And and uh, he was able to, he used a cash broker, bought that stuff all back in and made some money on both of them. So, uh, and that's just understanding the market value, the grain market values <clears throat> basis wise, of course. And there's, you know, there's a lot to be said for having a relationship with a really good cash broker in your area. Those guys are invaluable and they can really open up a lot of opportunities. Like you said, of, of having knowing values or being able to buy and sells. And, and we're not taking talking about people going out and putting speculative basis sales on. They're selling stuff because it'll work. And if they deliver on it, they will make a margin and they've got the grain to back it up. It's just a matter of identifying the opportunity to change your plans and substitute bushels when, when available. You know, a lot of people might look at that as simply a direct ship tool, but substitution applies to every bushel you can get your hands on at some point or another. I mean, it's got the ability to, to have that uh, opportunity present itself. And as, as we said earlier, you need to be the, the expert in your market, but you got to be connected and plugged in with people in other markets and, and uh, whether it's a professional network or good cash brokers or resellers, whoever you deal with, man, that you you can't have too many ears out there, in my opinion, to to help you identify these opportunities. For sure. And I know um, another subtle thing uh, that that good merchandisers are aware of and know how to how to use appropriately is um, 
is spreads. I guess I don't know how subtle it it is, but it's a direct impact on uh, on the success of your grain program at an elevator. And um, I know Roger down in where you were, uh, your area was that Septi's corn spread was a was a subtle thing used for kind of your particular area, <clears throat> right? Yeah. So you know we would corn harvest would start southeast Kansas. You know, last week August generally, and so. Obviously, you know, in August, you're bidding new crop corn versus sap. And, you know, booking corn ahead of time up to that point, too, for harvest delivery is going to be versus a sap. And the thing that, you know, a lot of folks will generally go towards when it comes to corn in particular is like, well, you know, carry spreads. Locking good carries when carry corn. Yes, but what we were looking at was harvest started in last week of August. And at that time... Uh, we were, had done a good job of building up a good book of four contract corn, you know, upwards of 70 to 75% of volume was booked ahead of time. And, uh, which, which was great. That's what we wanted. We wanted harvest ownership there. But the thing was, I was going to have to make sales for logistics reasons at harvest to turn and burn bushels to, to keep space. And guess what? If I'm booking ahead for September delivery to one of the poultry guys, at that time, they're they're bidding set for set too, so I was going to have to sell versus set. I had stuff bought versus set. The thing is, I've got to get these sales on and priced prior to September happening. I'm not going to get all these September bought contracts, purchase contracts from farmers delivered in yet. So I'm going to have a futures position that could put me into a, a, an instance where I'm going to be forced to roll long set to the decent. And if that's a carry market, that's that's no good. So we would look for SEP DEES being flat or inverted. And sometimes it was a year, sometimes two years out. You had to kind of be aware for that thing. So we just had working uh, or standing target orders to lock in that inverse, a sell spread at, say, even or whatever for a year or two out. And if it hit, then we'd put in one for nickel inverted or 10. There were some years there between 09 and 11 maybe or 8 and 11 that, man, it got really inverted a year or two out. And it worked great because it really helped – protect those long futures i'd probably have to roll um because i didn't have the sell bot in yet so it, it, it's for sure it's a subtle thing and uh it's um it's just little things like that that help manage your position and again some people say well you're you're specking on the spread well no i'm going to use that spread and this is a way i can utilize it and it protects me if it happens and it's not like i'm going out and putting 18 million bushels of spread on even if I could the volume wasn't there but I was using what I was trying to figure I was going to have to right. compensate for in that time frame until until we got to everything to the deece so uh that thing was great and in 2011 specifically when we had to buy out a bunch of those contracts because of that drought year that spread helped uh mitigate those buyout fees tremendously tremendously right yeah I think um uh, a lot of times, like you said, people say, oh, speculating on spreads. And which way. Well, you should never put on a spread because you think it's going uh, one way or another. However, you should put on a spread because of what it's communicating to you as a merchandiser. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a, a subtle thing, I guess, is understanding that the market is communicating to you when it wants grain or when it thinks it's going to want grain at all times. And so... If we're a year out and it says, hey, there's a 15 cent inverse from Septidis, what it's saying is, hey, if there's anybody around 
that is that can get corn to the market early in that scenario before September, uh, we we will reward you uh, accordingly. Uh, so that that is that's what the market communicated. So you know, to you just being the nice guy you are for the market's sake, hey, I'm I'll go ahead and commit. I'll, I'll I can find bushels before September. That's that's when we harvest usually. So uh, I'll do that, and then and then hey, if we get now we're a month from harvest or two weeks from harvest, and there's a ten cent carry, now the market says, hey, can anybody please keep these bushels off of me and hold them? Well, sure, I'll do that for you, and then maybe you unwind them, or maybe you don't. But like you said, you're never in a position where oh, if the spread doesn't go a certain way, I'm cooked. Mm-hmm. No, no, you're you're always just saying yes, I will, I can manage my bushels that way because if the market is rewarding that I'll lock it in and manage it that way. If the market changes its mind and wants to reward you, do something else, do it. Yeah. And you know, back at least in our situation, those years where we'd set, say set that spread, had some sales on and end up buying more than we thought, you know, that covered that sale up. Well, by pricing it out, we essentially took the spread off and you picked up the difference. You know, I had it gone to a set of these, went to an eight cent carry today and you'd set it in at a five cent inversion. Well, there's 13 cents you picked up just by doing what the market told you to do. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So that, and that's essentially the, the deal of a basis trader. We're not trying to make money off of spreads, but we're trying to move our basis position to the best place, whichever mm-hmm. month that is. Make sure your uh, position is is there where you can execute logistically with the appropriate amount of bushels, all that stuff, and where the market's rewarding you. I mean, it's pretty straightforward when you look at it big picture and and simplistically, like a lot of things we talk about, we don't need to make things too complicated. It's a simple grain elevator trying to service the overall market. Well, I think that probably brings us about to the end of uh, time today for uh, five anchors. And uh, the plan is to, you know, have a few more podcasts on uh, the remaining four. Yeah, we look forward to it. Uh, This one was was fun. I hope you uh, enjoyed our stories. Uh, You know, Roger and I aren't that old, even though Roger looks like it. (laughs) <laughs> awesome, but we do have some good stories like we're old guys jason sometimes. is the consummate storyteller he's he's he knows the details and the nuances and if you could just watch him when he tells a story it's it's phenomenal i use my hands a lot and um and if i if i don't remember all the details and all that i just uh kind of you know wing it i make it happen <laughs> no um yeah so we will Look forward to continuing this next time. All right. Thank you for listening to The Elevator's Cut. For Jason, I'm Roger. And for Roger, I'm Jason. Out. Out.